What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. I'm a Dream Mason, a performance coach. I work with strong and successful people to boldly declare what they want, get real about what's in the way, and create the strategy and the steps for more clarity, freedom, and success in their life. Together, we get things done faster, raise the bar on your goals, improve your relationships, and get crystal clear on what you really want. Now, if you haven't already, Please support me and this podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or YouTube, and please leave a review on iTunes. Follow me, Inspirational Alex, on Instagram, and share this podcast with a friend. Now, a dream mason is a person who is brave enough to declare they have a dream and committed enough to do the work to build it. Now, I know we all have a dream mason inside of us, and my dream for this podcast is to support us by giving us a glimpse inside the hearts and minds of leaders, creators, and innovators to help us unleash our inner dream mason. Because your dreams don't build themselves. I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Accomplishment Coaching. I won't let anyone sponsor this show, but I've personally done Accomplishment Coaching, their year-long life leadership training program, and it changed my life completely. Besides giving me a new career, it supported me to improve my relationships with my family, my friends, make the most money I've ever made, find more joy, and overall live a much more powerful life. So if you're interested in coaching, transformational work, or leadership training, Accomplishment Coaching is definitely the world's finest training program. Let's get into this episode. What's up? Welcome back to the Dream Mason Podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova, and you guys may have not heard of a band called Tulip, and my hope is that maybe one day you will. And I think my guest today will say that same thing also. Um, they should at least because it's their band. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I am, uh, I'm excited to hear the story. You guys have a really interesting story and I'm, I, I want to dig into it, but uh, welcome to the podcast, Colin and Ashley from the band Tulip. What's up guys? Thank How are you? you? We're, you. Good. We're good. We're great. Thanks for being here. Um, you know, we connected before and why don't you guys give me a little, you know, I know, you know, uh, Colin, you're, you're more, you're in, come from the engineering world, Ashley, you're an opera singer, but like, what is Tulip and like, how did Tulip get created? Yeah. So Tulip is a project that we, um, launched about a a year ago, Mm -hmm. maybe a little less than that at this point. Um, and it's a symphonic metal project. So if, if you're not familiar with uh, metal as a, sh- as a subgenre of music, symphonic metal has like a lot of neoclassical kind of orchestration elements to it. And that's obviously very well suited to Ashley's um, opera background. So the genesis of the project um, was a product of our exodus from the evangelical christian church mm-hmm. um and there's I, you know we'll get into i'm sure some of that um in a minute but basically the word tulip is an acronym for the uh, tenets of calvinism which is a, um, a theological concept uh within christianity um but in this case you know what was sort of intended to be um a uh, sort of a 
exposition of the the uh, the tenants ended up becoming a bit of a critique and then the the band itself retained the name and um you know we're working on uh, kind of building the band as a bit of a platform to explore some of those ideas mm-hmm. you you touched on the um you know, the faith background and like where you guys came from. And I know, you know, mm-hmm. we talked a lot about that. Um, is there, is there a place right now before we even dive into all of that? Cause I, I think that's so, such an interesting part of who you guys are and how your band was formed and how you guys came together and all the things that you are dealing with and overcoming to achieve mm-hmm. your dreams and your goals. While we're on the band piece for a minute, like, are there places people can, can go to listen to your music? I know that you're working on stuff. Like what's, how can people yeah. go ahead tell um, me. our our website um, has kind of all of the pertinent links it's uh, we are tulip.com and then i think the links are the same for instagram we are tulip facebook is we are tulip official and uh, twitter is we are tulip don't yeah. be confused with the unofficial tulip those guys are <laughs> exactly. renegades and we don't want nothing yeah. to do with them um, and all those music all those music streaming websites were up on all those too okay Cool. Um, what is, because I don't know, so I'm going to assume that my listener doesn't know what is symphonic. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Like I know what metal is. Um, I think most people probably know what metal is, but what does symphonic mean? Um, well pretty much I'd say exactly what the word is. It's based on around the symphony around an orchestra and Colin does most of the actual musical writing of the music, and I do the melodies and lyrics. So when he was pitching this project to me, I was coming out of opera, and he said, like, this is a no-brainer. You can come out of the classical world and be singing, because, you know, I'm trained to sing over large orchestras, over a symphony, and this would be something that you'd really, I think, love. And I had never been a metal person. I'd never listened to metal or hard rock. I'm kind of more of a hip hop jazz person. Um, But then as I started listening to it and he was playing me different bands, I really fell in love with it pretty quickly. And it's, it's really an amazing art form. Okay, nice. I actually know I have uh, two good friends that are opera singers. um, Oh, wow. And for people that are listening, if you know someone that's an opera singer, you know, you want them to sing happy birthday to you. It like changes the whole happy birthday at a restaurant <laughs> when an opera singer belts that thing out. Um, let's talk about you guys and like the, what's like where this is going. What are the goals? Where are you guys trying to get to with Tulip? Yeah. I mean, as artists, I think our primary motivation is just to create things. So we certainly love making music. I've been doing that for most of my adult life. Um, you know, just as a hobbyist outside of my, my work life. Um, Ashley obviously loves making music as well. And so primarily, yeah, it's an opportunity to continue creating music. And um, I think the part of it that is particularly exciting to us is the fact that there's more to the story than just the music. And Mm so we're hoping that, you know, and being on this podcast is part of that is that the music um, becomes sort of a platform for us to, um, you know, talk about our experiences in particular with the church, as well as just, you know, um, our experiences in life. So, yeah. And we, I, for me, I, 
I like creating music for sure, but I'm much more of a stage animal. So I like being on stage. I'm at home when I'm performing. So for us, like it's, it, uh, we've waited so long to be together romantically and also musically. So it's something that we can do together and it's a passion we both have, but it's, you know, with different sides to it. Cause Colin loves to be in the studio for hours and hours creating. And I just like to have the finished product and go and be on stage and do it live. Uh, so let's go back because now we brought we brought in and you know if I was listening to this I'd be like what is all this religious stuff and what's the mm. past because we've kind of teased and and I want to be like really we we all talked about this like this is not a this is not an episode to 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 talk down or say that any no. religion or anything is bad it's simply you for you guys to share your you know your story and I know you guys know that but I just really want to preface mm-hmm. that for the audience like this isn't about like it's bad or one thing is bad or one thing is good or anything like that. It's really just to share like the journey of you guys and the obstacles you've overcome because your experience Mm -hmm. with religion and the way that you guys grew up from what you've shared with me is, was, is one of the biggest obstacles you've had to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think our position too, is that a lot of people, at least in our experience from this community, find themselves in the same sort of predicament that we did. So it's like exactly as you said, it's not an opportunity to um, put anybody down or even suggest that there's anything wrong with being part of a faith tradition or a church for that matter. But um, just our sort of anecdotal experience suggests that there are a lot of people out there that feel the same sort of, uh, I guess, pressures that mm-hmm. we felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're on the other side of it. So our story might be helpful um, in some way to those people. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's go, let's take a little look and like, let's give us some, you know, so let's just start with this. Like, how did you guys, how did you guys actually meet each other? We met at church. Um, I guess just as a quick background, Colin and I both grew up in very similar families and we didn't know each other growing up, but, uh, we both came out of a tradition that's referred to in North America, mostly called reformed Christianity. So the, some of the mega pastors that people in the United States would know, they'd be like the John MacArthur's, the John Piper's, the Franklin Graham's, um, Jerry Falwell Jr. Those kind of, those guys that are, that take the Bible literally and um, who don't think that there is any room for uh, questioning uh, God or God's word, which is just the Bible. So we grew up in a family, both grew up in families like that. And because we, uh, were raised that way, we were both married very young to other people. My, I was married to my high school boyfriend, um, when I was 22 and Colin married someone he met also in high school at a Christian camp. At a Christian camp. Did you guys, Um, when you say you were married to them, like you, it wasn't a choice. What was the um, it was very heavily, uh, encouraged and suggested by, I mean, for me, we felt like we had choice, I'd say. Um, yeah. Colin, you can talk about, you had a real, well, idealism. I guess coming back to what I had said before about, um, cultural pressure, familial pressure, it's sort of, it's not a question necessarily of being in, a, in an arranged marriage. Um, you know, it, it's more. It's more of the fact that when you belong to this uh, particular branch of Christianity, conservative Christianity, mm-hmm. I mean, just to be completely frank about it, there, there, isn't, um, there isn't room for 
let's say, uh, premarital sex or cohabitation or any of the things that we kind of assume to be commonplace in, in terms of relationships, mm-hmm. adult relationships. So in order to, you know, have an intimate dating relationship with some way, someone, the only way to do that would be in the context of marriage. So right. no, nobody had a gun to their head saying you have to get married at 19, but, you know, short of just abstaining mm-hmm. from relationships altogether, um, that was sort of your only solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so personally on my end, I, I probably had a lot of, um, sort of idealistic pressure on me from my family and even from myself believing this, mm-hmm. um, this sort of theology. Ashley's was more family pressure, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. I, uh, I, certainly loved my high school boyfriend. He was my only boyfriend. And my mother, I'd say especially, she came from a very um, also strict Catholic background. So she had all that infused into her worldview as well. And so me going, breaking up with him and dating other people, that was never encouraged or really an option. And so it was also the time of like Jessica Simpson, remember all that? And I idolized her and I just thought, oh, well, she's getting married super young. And I'm, you know, I had no (laughs) idea what I was doing. And I literally wore the same wedding dress she did, like the exact same one. Uh, And we all see how that turned out too for her. At first, when you said that, I was like, Jessica Simpson, who are you talking? And I I realized the singer, the, you know. Exactly. Nick Lachey. Yeah. Yeah, and she yeah. was like this big Christian virgin on her wedding. And I wanted to be just like her. And my mom was, so, and I, my parents threw me this enormously lavish, expensive, beautiful wedding. And I had really nothing to do with it. I just kind of showed up and, mm. you know, that was the beginning of this marriage. And, uh, similarly, that's what Colin and his ex-wife experienced. What you guys, I think it's so, what's so important to, to, to talk about or say here is it's so not, this is not like one religion, right? Like we could probably right. go around the world and find cultures, mm-hmm. communities, towns, cities, religions, spiritual groups, uh, all sorts of different sorts of like, you know, communities that have tenants and that things people subscribe to that Mm -hmm. come with pressures that come with the rules that, Hey, this is how life is. And I think that's the, like, that's what I'm getting the most from this. Like, is it's not about that your specific religion or a specific religion. It's really about that. When we find ourselves, especially as young people in these groups, Mm -hmm. like we Mm -hmm. don't, you know, it's not like you're 40 or 50 and you have all this experience where, you know, like, Hey, this isn't right for me. You guys really kind of, went down a path that you didn't really, what it sounds like, you didn't really know, you you didn't really feel like you had options. And at that young age, you don't see all that's available. And and with the pressures of family and whatnot, you know, that's, that's gotta be rough. Right. And it's also very powerful to be told that this is God's will for your life. And it's impossible to argue against that as a young person, especially as a young person who I've just gotten out of of college, Colin's just begun his his professional life, and you you aren't really an adult yet. So you know, back in Bible times, yes, people were adults when they were fifteen or sixteen because then you were dead at thirty. You know, <laughs> and so the rules were made for people from that time. And now we live until we're one hundred and two, and 
we have much more information, you know, and we don't all go to bed when the sun sets. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, anybody would say that when you're young, you're susceptible to making poor decisions about things. And so. And impulsive decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say that, you know, um, these decisions were any different in that respect. Like, like I said, there was no gun to anybody's mm-hmm. head, but it's just the, the ramifications of those des- decisions yeah. are so severe in terms of how the rest of your life turns out. And then you build on top of that, the fact that, and we'll come to it, but mm-hmm. divorce within this community is even more mm-hmm. of a problem. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of our whole story is, is how the choice to then get divorced um, completely shattered our entire world essentially mm-hmm. to um to move forward together yeah well, I'm, I'm really curious like growing up the way you guys did what are what are some of the things that you learned that have actually worked really well for for you but then the other side that i also want to know is what are the things that you learned that maybe you made up about yourself like the limiting beliefs the stories that are in your head that aren't facts that aren't true but that mm-hmm. got ingrained that you're still dealing with today well, I, I can speak to this probably pretty easily. Um, just as a woman, uh, my parents encouraged me. I've always been, um, a creative woman, a young girl. And I did, I loved singing and dancing and my parents took, you know, they paid for dance lessons and they paid for music lessons. Um, but only up until a certain point, uh, they, they wanted to encourage me to, you know, explore these talents, but I had to remember that they were God given first. So first I had to make sure that I was singing in church, that I was giving my talents to the Lord primarily. And then I could maybe do some singing on the side, secular singing, and then getting into classical music. That's acceptable because it's kind of an old world tradition and there's nothing too salacious in there, which is actually not true. And, but they didn't know that. And then, (laughs) but, but all the while as I'm performing and I, and they're sort of encouraging me, there's this undercurrent and this always in the back of my mind and my mother always reminding me that, the most important thing as a woman is to be a wife and a mother. So even though I'm 18, one day you'll be married and then you'll be a mom. But that's the the number one thing. And even as I began my career, I was married very early, then began my career in opera for seven, eight years. I was always experiencing a tremendous amount of guilt about not having children. Even though I, I did the first thing, I was married, I was a wife. But then I didn't have kids until I was almost 30. And that was always something that I was always looming over me. I didn't even necessarily know I wanted children. Now I have three. But I, it was something that I was always told is the m- number one most important thing to be able to be blessed with children and then to create other Christians for the line of um, Christianity to continue throughout your family. Yeah. And I think just to kind of counterbalance that, I would say that, you know, certainly feeling um, some of the same pressures with respect to, um, I guess, adult responsibility, I would call it as a young man were were present. But in the same breath, I would say, because you would ask what maybe good had come out of this worldview is that I think there is an element of, you know, self-discipline and morality that's Mm -hmm. present there. And, you know, I look at some of my other friends that I work with today in the engineering world, and some of them are first or second generation immigrants and they have very strict parents, but 
the parents' motivation for being strict was just to see them succeed, right? To, to have them go to, to school, to get a degree, to work hard, whatever the case may be. And a lot of that same basic mm-hmm. fundamental ideology is embedded in the Christian faith. But in our case, I think coupled with sort of the, I mean, at this point, I would say mysticism around mm-hmm. the nature of uh, God and the Holy Spirit and the way that the Bible is, is the direct word of God sort of clouds some of that. And so mm-hmm. for me, the self-discipline component and, you know, um, just morality in general. Yeah, and I'd say the emphasis but, on family is a great is a yeah. great thing. And we still have that and maintain that as a blended family. Totally. And um, we are very committed to each other. It's, uh, but just, um, yeah, for me, I'd say the thing that I've had to leave behind and I still struggle with is that guilt. You know, if I am doing anything for myself and not for my children, or if I'm, you know, focused on, music more than making sure that I'm, you know, always present at every single thing as a mom and that kind of stuff is Mm. something I have to, you know, still work around. Thanks. So then you guys met and you probably met, yeah, right. You said you met in church. So it's like, now you're, now you're like super sinners, right? Um, Exactly. But no, but like all jokes aside, you met in the place that you know, you had kind of been building these lives. And then mm-hmm. how did you guys even, cause I know that the, the stories around the divorce, the challenges associated with that were, were really difficult. What is, how did you guys even get in the same space that you could even create a relationship, see a future mm-hmm. together and get where you are now? Well, we met making music. So I was touring with opera, doing classical music. And then when I decided I was going to, try and have children. I had twins. And so I was, um, homebound for a long time, but the church said, okay, well, you're going to be around and I have, you know, musical talent. We'd like you to lead this gospel band each Sunday. And Colin is a brilliant musician and it's a way that he volunteered his talents and he played drums and guitar and bass and all number of different instruments in this band that I led at this church. And that's how we, I think, discovered that we both loved creating music. We started doing that kind of on the side together um, under the church's umbrella, but also outside of it. Um, Yeah. And I I mean, look, not to kind of skirt the issue, but we, you know, we had sort of an immediate attraction to each other, but we we deferred it and we didn't actually act upon it. Um, but it, it was the type of thing where, again, if we were just in dating relationships in our mid twenties, we probably would have pursued, mm-hmm. you know, a, a more serious relationship at the time, but we, we couldn't. Mm-hmm. And that was the right thing to do. It was, you know, the decent thing to do to our spouses, but the feeling of like, we couldn't was mm-hmm. also built on the fact that we had these bad contracts <laughs> that prevented us from doing something that otherwise made sense. So yeah, we spent, about what, eight years, mm-hmm. I think playing together in this band, really getting to know each other, recognizing that we had a ton of shared interests in everything that we were very aligned in terms of our, our kind of mm-hmm. our attitude about life. And, you know, we're both doers and we're, mm-hmm. you know, productive kind of exciting people, I guess. But um, yeah, it was the focus of being able to play music together um, and work on some projects around that, that kept us together through that period. Yeah. And I think also one of the 
the the pivotal moments I'd say in our relationship was when we we had a conversation after a rehearsal kind of late one night where we both kind of looked at each other and said like do you ever wonder if maybe you got married too young and that sort of opened a conversation and a dialogue that was definitely not encouraged or permissible in our church but we both were able to say like yeah i mean he was 20 i was 22 uh, it was, and we were able to just find just a really deep, close friendship at, at the very least in just recognizing we'd both made these mistakes and also being able to just lean on the other and say like, how are things going in your marriage? And both of us had similar answers, which were not great. Um, but we both had children and it was very complicated. So, and your guys' story is like really a story about, you know, breaking away from all of this, from the pressures, mm-hmm. from the family, from, from the, the religion or faith. Um, and not from a, like, again, not that because it's all wrong or bad, but simply yeah. so you could pursue the life that you actually desire. And exactly. And I think like for me, that's, that's what's interesting. That's really cool about you guys, because I don't think that's actually any different than what anyone in the world is going through. Right. Whereas like, there's Mm -hmm. something they desire and then there's something in the way. Now the thing that's Mm -hmm. in the way is like, you know, it's kind of like the thing that's in the way is always ice cream, but it's different flavors of ice cream. And your guys flavor happened to be religion and the cult and the, the, the community that you guys were in. So now Mm -hmm. you guys have music that you clearly want to do music. That's not kind of, traditionally acceptable you want to not be in the marriages you're in you want to be with each other Mm -hmm. not so much like how did you do it because that's kind of not that important but like how did you guys do it like internally like how do you have the courage to break away from everything you've always known to go after what you want yeah (laughs) we're both looking at each other like where do we start it was it was horrible. It was torturous. And for me, because I had kind of a, I had a a crazier, busier life. I have a, I have a very large family and I have a very, I had, I used to have a very, um, a mother that was very involved in my day to day and she would kind of program everyone in the family. And I, I could kind of keep moving. And that's something that I need needed to catch myself, you know, in the like, creating busyness to avoid dealing with problems. And that's what I would do. And so that's kind of how I kept going. I just said, you know, there are no sick days. I can't just be sad about this, even though I am in love with this man, this very dear friend of mine. I can't acknowledge that. I can't think about it. I don't have time to process this. And I'd say for Colin, you were probably like, also like going, just going crazy. (laughs) Yes, dear friend. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think just to kind of hook into what you had said about this this struggle being, um, you know, fairly ubiquitous in terms of whether it's church or family or job or whatever, I think the problem that we face that, you know, everybody faces is, is that there was a certain attitude that this is frivolous, right? Yeah. Like, you guys are in love. That's stupid. That's frivolous. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. That's Love doesn't exist, all this kind of stuff. And then, again, on top of that, you have the Christian worldview where, 
it's not just that it's frivolous, it's also sinful. Mm-hmm. So we had to kind of fight against that whole narrative, which, you know, we are, we are to, to this day, we're the villains in this whole mm-hmm. narrative mm-hmm. from the Christian perspective. Um, but I think for anybody who's going through this, nobody makes life altering choices frivolously, right. right? Like you don't spend eight years pining to be with someone and then decide to get divorced on a whim. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. we thought about this carefully and we spent a long time wrestling with it internally together Mm -hmm. with our ex um, spouses. And the result was this choice that everybody wanted to kind of have, you know, a say in Mm -hmm. and remind us of the fact that, you know, if you, if you leave, you know, the grass is never greener and this and that and the other thing. But in the end, it's the, it's sort of like saying to yourself that you have thought about this carefully. Mm -hmm. You do know what you're doing and having the courage, I guess, to just push through. And I think that was Mm -hmm. one of the things that we came to realize about all of it. You know, it's just like, you can hum and haw about the decision forever. You can, in our Mm -hmm. case, do the marriage counseling for a year. You can take your time, but actually the better thing to do once you've made up your mind is just to push through, Mm -hmm. you know, and get to the other side as quickly as possible. Um, So, you know, we had talked before Alex about this, but I think, you know, just in a very brief practical sense for me, that looked like moving out of my house, which Mm -hmm. I actually left to my, my ex-wife moving into an industrial unit because I could pay cash up front to basically put a cot on the floor of a concrete slab. And that was my first night alone separated, you know, and it was, Mm -hmm. it was as bleak as it sounds, you know, but a year later we were asleep in our house in Texas with all four of our children and my parents. So Mm -hmm. that year was chaos. It was, it was hell in every sense of the word. But um, I think you, if you, if you choose to push through, you can, it's surprising how quickly things will change. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So easier said than done, but that's my perspective on it now. Yeah. Well, what, what, some of, what are some of those other things you guys actually had to deal with? Like, right. You slept in a, you slept in a cot. I know you shared with me like where you were, where you are a year after mm-hmm. to where you were is vastly different. So like, what are some of those things that you actually had to, that you were in that you had to keep fighting through? Well, I'd say, so first of all, when we made the decision to talk to our former spouses about what was going on, the church also got involved and got in the way immediately. And so Colin referenced, we were in like almost a year of marriage counseling with the other people. So basically the the church that we were involved in caught wind of our feelings for each other, which is all it was at this point. And they told Colin and his ex-wife that they needed to leave the church completely. So they were not banished, but they were asked very strongly to leave and never return. I, they still needed me to do music there. And so they kept me there, but I had to submit. And that is the word that was used to twice a week counseling once by myself with a non-licensed therapist um, who is a man, an elderly man, a pastor, once a week by myself, and then also once a week with my ex-husband. So we did this for probably eight months. Colin and I were not allowed to have contact with each other. We had to essentially pretend like we were the, the other person was dead. So that was already horrible. 
Um, we endured that. Then we finally said enough is enough about eight, six to eight months later, Colin made the decision before I did to, um, move out. And then once it was all out in the open, we still had, especially me, I still had men, um, about three or four at a time showing up to my home where my children were, uh, coming in unannounced, reading the Bible, yelling at me for three, four hours at a time, sending me registered mail. I believe that I was followed. Uh, They would show up and uh, just at different times, they would send their wives to meet with me and to just say, you know, don't make this choice. Don't choose to be with Colin. Stay with your high school boyfriend. And uh, I had to just really, and they really almost broke me. I mean, it was terrible. My family has completely disowned me. My siblings don't speak to me. And they used every single method they could, much like Scientology, to just try and break me and intimidate me into just saying, you know what, I am making the wrong decision because this is so painful. How could this possibly be right? But I knew that that this, that I couldn't live this lie anymore and that I wanted to be with Colin. And I also just didn't want to continue this life of just, you know, suburban motherhood. And, uh, what was that thing we heard the other day? Anyway, just, I I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do it anymore. So I just kept, no, I stuck to my guns. I had some very good support from other friends of mine. And I had Colin who was living in his industrial unit. (laughs) We would try and talk as much as we could and see each other when we could. And then eventually I was able to convinced my ex-husband to release me, which he hadn't released me. And that's uh, why I was, you know, I was excommunicated from the community. They publicly shamed me. They told the whole congregation of 300 people that no one's allowed to speak to me any longer. No one's allowed to have any contact with me, that I am to wander the earth, you know, cursed. And uh, my parents were there for that announcement. And they, as far as I knew, you know, sat in the front row. So that, uh, that was what happened to me. And then eventually we were able to be together and now we live here in our beautiful home in Texas and it's still complicated with our kids and everything, but, um, our life is so happy and full What do you and guys, we're making music. And um, what do you guys do like around the kids? Because I mean, the kids were present for all of this and they saw it from, you know, I'm sure like five different they, lenses. Yeah, they are very small and they were very small, at, and which is kind of lucky for us because they were, um, our boys are, they're twins and they are six now, but they were four when this was happening. And then our daughters um, are both, were both two years old at the time and now they're almost four. So they don't really remember. They don't really remember. They, they don't remember not having their stepdad in their life. You know, they just, they kind of... I don't think that there were really any gaps for them in their memory. Yeah. Um, Do they have, do your kids have relationships with their, um, their dad and their mom? Yes. So I do, I do shared custody. We both have shared custody of, of the kids and we have to travel a lot back and forth between Texas and Toronto, um, which is where they go to school and they live most of the time. And uh, yeah, they, they see their, their other parents and they have relationships with them and everyone 
does their best to put on brave faces around each other. And we have to be at birthday parties and soccer games together. And we all just kind of stuff it down. And yeah, I, mean, I think it's, it's, it's fair to say it's a little more complicated than that, just in terms of, you know, in particular, Ashley's kids, when they're with her ex, still spend a lot of time with her parents who are completely estranged from her. So mm-hmm. there's a there's a dynamic there which puts a lot of pressure on her. And I, you know, we think it's fairly deliberate in that sense. And so, you know, we, we don't need to get into the details of custody and all that kind of stuff. But it, it is a it is an ongoing battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something we're working to resolve. But I think, you know, the one thing is that when we decided to do this, our biggest reservation was about the kids. But the silver lining is that um, we did it at a time when they were able to adapt. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for example, with the girls in particular, they both refer to each other as sisters, you know, so they, they gained something out of it that, you know, isn't perfect, but it's not fundamentally broken. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's hard to articulate that from a Christian worldview, but to somebody who's just a regular person, I don't know what else, what other term to use. That's like, that's a beautiful aspect of the whole story. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So the kids have adjusted well and they, they see us as a nuclear family, but Mm -hmm. blended Mm -hmm. um, when they're here. So, yeah. And then how does all of this make a difference? Like everything you've gone through, like, how does this, how is all of this going to support you to, to fulfill your dreams and, you know, create Tulip as a band that, is thriving and that people know, um, and that, that it succeeds. I'd say, I mean, when we first set out to do this, we were going to do it when we were still in the dark and married to other people. And that would have been totally inauthentic and perpetuating the lie. So now that we're on the other side of it, we've gone through this hell, we are able to actually make the freest, most true, um, real version of the music we want to make because there are no, there's no hindrances. There's no restrictions on us anymore. We're totally open to do whatever we want because we are together and we are in the light and there's nothing to hide. There's no secrets anymore. So that I think will really does really come out in the music. It's very powerful. The first EP was written around this experience. So it's got a lot of lyrics that are biblically based. They're um, a lot about, you know, escaping and figuring out and wrestling with the faith that you were raised in. And then this next album that we're making is much more kind of mystery of the universe, still kind of questioning um, just what is life. But uh, it's, it's just like a, a pleasure and a joy to have to to talk about these things together and to write music about them and ta- and spend long hours just like talking together and discussing it. I mean, it's yeah. And and for me, I think you know I've used this analogy in the past is is that marriage you know is a contract and for us it was a bad contract, not unlike a bad cell phone contract. <laughs> and I don't mean to trivialize it. Obviously, there was a lot of hurt that was experienced on both sides of, of, you know, the whole divorce. But in the end, going through life with a bad contract doesn't make you or anybody else around you better, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we are inspired people. I think we like the idea of taking on projects and challenges and we make a great team in that respect. And being on the other side of it, even though we had to pay a penalty to get out of these contracts and we, we still have complexity as a product of that in our lives, we have more energy to be mm-hmm. the best versions of ourselves. And I think that 
it, with respect to the music, that is who we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're meant to do this um, at some level. And we have now the freedom to pursue it at like full speed. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. And so why bother going through life? Like the you know, same analogy we use is, is uh, like with a millstone around your neck, yeah. you know, asking for permission, all the time. fighting upstream to get yeah. something done. It, it's not a good, it isn't helpful to you. And, it, and like I said, it's not helpful to those around you. Our kids wouldn't have benefited oh, from no. knowing those half, you know, versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think pushing through, as I had said before, is the right thing to do in these situations. And on the other side of it, even in spite of the added complexity, the freedom is worth it. Totally. If you guys had any, you know, advice to give to you know, anyone out there that, and it, right. It doesn't have to be religious pressure, Mm -hmm. but any sort of like, there's just mounting pressure from, you know, their community, their school, their teachers, their parents, like, and, and, and it's, they believe that it's in the way they -hmm. believe that it's in the way, you know, between them and like everything that they want. Like, what do you, what would you, what advice would you give them? Like, look, I get, like, we get it. And especially for women in that community or in any community, just women in general, whether you're a believer or not, it's very hard to um, believe in yourself and trust your instincts, Um, especially when you're told that you don't have any instincts worth listening to and that you just need to listen to your husband's instincts for you, um, which is what is ingrained in that community from birth. Um, it's like a, you don't have to worry about anything women because your husbands will worry about everything for you. And it's just this crazy way of living. And, uh, so I'd say for, for women, it's do trust yourselves and whether it's, 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 it, it is hard, but you are better on the other side of it and to do it as soon as you can, you know, we, our only regret is that we weren't together sooner. And that we didn't realize this when we met at 26 instead of now we're, you know, 30 in our thirties. Um, and yeah. for you, I don't know. I mean, there, there's so much you could say, but I think one of the things that uh, maybe in, in terms of just the humility that we have after being, mm-hmm. having come through all this, every situation, whether it's relational or it's a work situation or whatever the case may be is unique. And the only person that really knows the inner workings of that situation is you. So we knew what was going on here. We had so many people telling us Mm -hmm. we were doing something that was bad, sinful, wrong, evil, whatever. But there is an element of trusting your gut and Mm -hmm. and that your instinct And telling the truth. Telling the truth is another important one. Just tell the truth. Tell the truth to yourself. And, um, And once you've made that choice, you know, then you need a good plan, which mm-hmm. we, we had. There you need are, a good plan. There are always <laughs> creative solutions to yeah. complex problems is another thing I say, right? Mm-hmm. We live, we have this house in Texas as a product of like, we live, we couldn't afford to live in Toronto. Um, I couldn't work in any other place. So it, it just, it worked out in a way that, again, added complexity, but it, it was the right solution for mm-hmm. us. So you have to just... You have to make a plan. Sometimes you have to think outside of the box to make it, it work. It might be a crazy plan, but... <laughs> but if you push through, it does work out. Yeah. You know? 
And like I said before, you'd be surprised at how quickly things change Mm -hmm. once you're committed to that goal. You know, Mm -hmm. we always feel like it's been so, it feels like it's been 10 years, but it's only really been two. Yeah. And um, I think that's what happens when you've got, you know, like the weight of the world on your shoulders, everything Mm -hmm. feels like it slows down, but two years at, you know, in your mid thirties is a reasonable trade-off to live the rest of your life. Exactly. Free. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Guys, thank you so much for, um, you know, your open openness and honesty and just, you know, sharing like what you went through. Um, thanks for, uh, I also really want to like honor that you, that you guys really keep it in a way that like, Hey, you tell your story and you, and I, I believe and I, and there's some people that are going to be more sensitive than me, but I think you honor, you don't, you don't like stomp on the religion or the beliefs you just really share that hey this experience like didn't work for you guys Mm -hmm. and it was the thing that was in the way of what you wanted and we could say that about anything in life and -hmm. for you this is what it was so thanks for sharing that thanks for um I want to say taking responsibility for your guys life and and what Mm -hmm. happened and what didn't happen and powerfully Mm -hmm. moving forward um I really, uh, I look forward to having, you know, you guys on talking about Tulip when <laughs> Tulip is a band that everybody knows. Yeah. And, um, yeah. so thanks for being here and, and really being vulnerable and open. Cause I don't think most, you know, people that are in bands come on a podcast to talk about their personal lives and their religion and, and the difficulties <laughs> and challenges that they faced in those areas. Well, thanks for having us, Alex. Yeah, this is great. Um, you guys said it before, but will you say it again? Like, what are the best places that people, if they want to hear your music, if they want to reach out to you, what are the best ways to do any of that? Yeah, the best thing to do would be to just go to our website, which is wearetulip.com, and you can link to everything from there. Um, there's a bunch of videos as well, YouTube videos that you can watch. Um, and I think these days, most people are on Instagram. So same, um, at we are tulip applies for Instagram. So those two places are where we spend most of our time. Um, so yeah, if you, if you want to send us a message on Instagram, we're pretty responsive and hopefully you can, uh, listen to the music and you'll like it. Yeah. And we'll be, uh, playing lots of shows soon. So watch out for those dates and hopefully we'll be in a city near you. Thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dream Mason podcast. I am grateful to have you here. Please support me and this podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or YouTube. And leave a review on iTunes. And share this podcast with a friend. If you want more, or you're ready to play a bigger game and create more clarity, freedom, and success in your life, you can follow me on Instagram at inspirationalalex, or you can reach out to me at thedreammason.com, or even email me at alex at thedreammason.com. Remember, you are a dream mason, because your dreams don't build themselves.